Chapter 3. Regrets When people ask me about regrets, I usually come up with only one, a particular person I made love with. There was, to the man I stayed with for far too long, trying to make it work, trying to fit our love into a box, staying well past my years to bear a child, knowing underneath he did not or ever would share my community dream. I could say I have regret for both, but in truth, not really, as I could not leave before I had given it my all. That was just who I was able to be in those years. One interaction I can call a regret certainly provided its lesson too. And still, ugh, mm, the medicine, I guess, is in the regret. It was during the dolphin legend days when energy was high and synchronicities never-ending. I was on the dolphin trail, living with those signs, connections as the key thread in my life. One evening in New York City, I met a musician, a person whose music and life had, too, been deeply influenced by the sights and sounds of the oldest, largest brain beings of the sea. We sat for hours sharing stories. I felt I was home in his company, as I so often did when meeting another who had had a close whale encounter. Even in large gatherings without any words, I could tell who I had a connection with, who had interacted with and been touched by cetaceans. And so I ran with the energy, as one might say, the experience of tribe, and after some hours engaged in intimate contact. Out of the blue, however, I called the stop. Something did not feel right or needed to slow down. I called a time out, saying I needed some moments alone. A guest in my college roommate's apartment, I traveled to her bedroom. There on the wall was a huge, spectacular painting of two dolphins kissing, touching in the water. I sat on the bed below it in a kind of meditation, asking, is it okay, is it right for me to make love with this man? I wanted the yes and felt I had heard it, returning with that Delphic smile ready to continue. And so we did, late into the night, with little words, no consideration of before or after, only now. The next day, we got to know each other, and in the course of sharing, we touched all topics, including health. I shared my history, the many viruses I had traveled with and through, mono, Epstein-Barr, HBV, chronic fatigue, herpes, shingles. Oh, my. Though none were active now, and doctors had assured me it was not now, when in good health, possible to sexually transmit any of these, I felt it simply part of the truth to share. 
I and we. We had not used protection as I had truly felt that this union and communion was a lifetime meant to be connection. I had long stopped using birth control years before and felt I was leaving pregnancy up to the divine. And this, this was not a casual encounter, and I was prepared to live with any consequences. He, on the other hand, was not. Though the possibility for pregnancy was slim given the timing, it was the potential health issue that seemed to scare him the most, despite my research and assurances from doctors. Though he had not inquired or offered protection, I saw fear and regret enter his face and whole being. The dolphin nature I had assumed was in our encounter was soon, if ever there, overtaken by the wolf. He became angry, upset, almost frantic, and I could not help but take responsibility for my misassumptions, my negligence in his eyes. Regret became the transferable disease. Days later, I woke up to realize the power of the lens through which we, at least, in this case I, had looked through, seeing what I wanted and not what was actually there. The moment I had stopped was actually the moment of awareness that something was not right. Thinking that a meditation was going to make it right was a miss, a deception on some level with myself and ultimately with this man. He was not my lover. I was another species in the forest of his conquests. Certainly not one that was going to live with him happily ever after in any constellation. In the days following, we worked through as best we could to return to a place of care and connection. The harsh wake-up call, however, has never left me. And for that, I live with a sweet mixture of gratitude and regret. There are, of course, more misses and regrets in my life to be remembered, respected, and shared. When council trainers come together, there are no better sharings than the stories of such. I remember being invited to return to a threshold gathering that community of philanthropists I mentioned, a visit made after so many years since my swan song. It was their early-on vision that had attracted me, healing relations with money, working in both what I projected as prayer and action. By focusing on the inner work needed, the spiritual life many of them freely called it, One's gifting to another might be sourced in something different than guilt, shame, or even egos around charity, generosity, or helping others. I first met Josh, Threshold's founder, or the Donuts as they called themselves, in a search for people dedicated to similar values of care for this earth and all beings. I had been gifted money myself by a woman with inherited wealth who wanted my help in starting a foundation. 
I told her I first wanted to research what already existed. I didn't want to duplicate efforts or become an administrator of such. I had already gifted half of my inheritance and invested the rest in ventures, organizations, and communities aligned with my values. I did not envision a life focusing myself on being or becoming more of a philanthropist. Somehow, I felt from the start of this unexpected wealth arriving on my doorstep that to share it and partner with others was a good way. I did not want to build a life around it. That, even with the best of intentions, seemed more of a contribution to a world of wider inequity and privilege. I had learned of the investments that large foundations made in order to grow their own resources, and it did not sit well. However, when meeting Wendy and agreeing to the research, I felt her intentions were good. She had a lot of experience working in other cultures, specifically Africa, and this contributed to her awareness and vision. And when meeting Josh and talking about their vision, informed by a cloud shaped like a donut in the sky, well, I felt he and such a group were more likely to be listening and informed by nature, earth, rather than trying to fix it. This got me interested enough to respond to his invitation to come to a meeting in upstate New York. It so happened that the meeting, I learned, was scheduled to start the day after my first three-month commitment at Ojai ended. Now, I could write a book about the synchronicities that followed throughout my 18 years of participating in the Threshold Donut Network. It was the vision to be part of the healing with money that lured me in. It was the magic that emerged through the conflicts, the chaos of the community journey that actually kept me coming. Community, as stories earlier reveal, was already a primary focus of my life. After an early vision of co-housing experiment at Bluff Street, I had begun to pattern of being in the trenches five months more or less a year at the Ojai Foundation land. There was ongoing experience of the issues that naturally arise when humans come together, it seemed, no matter how enlightening the vision. People, all of us, tended to have our power issues, our insecurities, our wounds, our opinions, our dreams and values. More often than not, messes of various proportions resulted. At Ojai, I got caught being the ombudsman a bit too often. On the high side, this looked like a true unwillingness to take sides. Ombudsperson, the kind of mediator of peace. On the shadow side, it was sourced at times in still wanting to be loved, to be perfect, to be seen, to be valued as the peacemaker. As this job was indispensable, I was always needed 
and forever in service. Rarely willing to be controversial, I held a strong voice, becoming the spokesperson for what was missing, forgotten, or overlooked. I was the champion of the oppressed and marginalized, a good pathway for sure. Yet, when it became too fully my own identity and seat of power, well, this, I slowly came to learn, was not contributing to a more just and beautiful world. Rather than champion those without a voice, I needed to look more into simply getting out of the way, being supportive, making room for others. Coming into four-day experiences of community at Threshold deepened my awareness around all of this. I actually was pretty current with my pain, anger, and upsets, working already as I was in council and the Ojai community life. Many, however, that came to those donut meetings clearly were new to accessing such emotions, and even more so to a space in good company to share them. Coming twice a year, I often found myself quiet, if not silent. To some others, if I did not share my pain in some way, I actually did not fully belong. If I did not join a working committee, maybe I did not care. It was a challenge at times to stay simply with my truth and love, not to use too much, if any, process space and not join in more work which I knew with my existing commitments I could not do well. Simply showing up, being present, offering what I could, asking for what I needed at times, became a community best practice for me early on. Was it enough? Was I enough? If I was not a full participant in the ways or jobs that had been delineated, I only could hope, trust, and live as if I was in the ways that I could be. Strong learnings around belonging accompanied me. One of the other founders at one point even questioned why Josh had invited me. Did I, she said, have the required million dollars in my bank account to be a member? Josh had trusted the connection in our meeting and actually had never asked me. Well, at that time, I actually did have it. Trust, of course, is always a big issue arising amongst any gaggle of homo sapiens. Who has what? Who trusts who? What can we and can't we share? My hope then, as it is true today, is that we are willing to share anything and everything. That we are committed to listening for what truly serves to give, serves us and others. Whether it be money, resources, information, touch, contact, really, of any kind. Too often people, I found, thought or think money is what is needed to manifest a life, a dream. B 
beyond basic needs covered, it is often not what is missing. At least other kinds of support, connection, communication, community are needed equally, if not more. And that was equally true in the world of those with money. I actually learned this over time when offering workshops focused on right livelihood. If the basic needs of shelter and food are covered, after that, a lot of issues around having or not having money are uncannily similar. Self-worth, concern how others see me, fears of how I am used, and on it goes. I owe a lot to the chaos of emotions, needs, visions, and values colliding in many donut circles over those formative years. We had to become community leaders, facilitators, caregivers, and care receivers in order to survive. We had to create sessions, practices, and ceremonies that would allow the group to carry out its mission when meeting and when apart during the year. In many ways, the ways of such a tribe were more challenging to engage because we did not all live together and people, when dissatisfied, could not come or simply could leave. The money gave even more opportunity to pick and choose. Still, many, enough, stayed with the discomfort during the norming and forming stages that the Threshold Foundation and Donut Network still exists and thrives today. As does my hope or dream which still has lived to some degree amongst a few of those that I met there. We can listen more deeply to what is needed to be shared, where, when, and how, that we can have trust and freedom together to share what we hear, what comes to us in love, in an earth-connected life, that our decisions and choices can be sourced within the circle, and that the circle can perhaps be less human-centered and have a more direct consideration for all of life. Though this was certainly a value carried by many, I found few in Threshold, as well as within many other philanthropic organizations, actually putting themselves more intentionally in nature on the earth, the land and water that they fought to protect and save. How could we know what was best to do or to support if we did not communicate with that which we hoped to protect? My respect for communication with the earth, with Gaia, with nature, led me to offer such opportunities like the quest, the reunion, the nature of council, to the threshold board, and to more members over many years. The board accepted, and one journey led to another, ten at a time over ten years, some coming repeated times in order to become guides themselves. This was the best gift I could share, and my hopeful contribution to seeding an experience of community with all our relations.
with that offered as one more way to be part of sourcing, I felt my time was complete. Fortunately, during those years, the 80s and 90s, time was spent by members with Indigenous people. Projects were funded for their protection. And gradually, members realized it was a good thing to know and respect those whose lands we were meeting on. More grant recipients came to visit over the years and be seen as partners in the work rather than the disenfranchised that we were, quote, helping. Occasionally, there was a meeting to bring such together, and though some members still needed time to be learning and protected amongst their own kind of wealthy, others have engaged in flow funds and collaborations. From a distance, having left and now called an alumnut since 2000, almost the exact number of years has passed as the first 18 I was engaged I can sense and see threshold has grown and changed, as hopefully I have. And I'm grateful to see the multi-generational collaboration and witness the continuation of some of the best of the old practices, along with the emergence of new. I can't help but notice, though, and be wary of the ever-rising cost of chosen fancy venues, air travel, and impact for giving away to me, disproportionate sums. But then again, I feel no need to judge as I am not there. I'm not in the hot seats of responsibility for vision and members. They find their way, and most importantly, perhaps, they continue to work and lead as a circle, in circles, with attunements, with guidance in a variety of ways they access such. Now, Perhaps more than marijuana and alcohol, which were both under and wildly above ground in its history, members are engaged in activism, more socially responsible investments at last, and social justice awareness throughout. Psychedelics and plant medicines seem to have found their niche, along with other avenues of healing and waking up. Gurus of members have come and gone, never fortunately finding their way to the top. And leaders, they've been grown and rippled out. And of course, the issues continue to arise. The question or solution appears to be the same. Who will stay to work it out? I am grateful for those who have stayed. Last but not least is to say I'm grateful for having lived through the messes I was certainly part of. A ceremony, some of us offered one solstice, was simply not wanted. The practice of counsel was offered once just at the right time, and another time, oh my God, sadly out of tune with what the whole was anticipating. When being invited to return three times to Threshold as a, quote, older, I can say two of those three were rewarding, I suspect, for all parties involved. Once took me about a month, however, to recover from. But that's a longer story. For now, my prayer continues to bring forth the best of the old ways in Threshold, as well as on this planet, while creating the new. I am curious, however, if not sad, 
to see that the word spiritual or sacred nowhere now appears that I can find in the donut literature. I so hope we can bring respect and new life to those words and not throw them out because they have been misused, excluded, or even separated. For now, I must trust the mission of Threshold, along with many other foundations, is imbued with spirit, informed by such, carried by such, into the system changes our planetary social justice climate crisis is begging for. If every philanthropist was 100% committed and willing to give up being such, I do feel the world would be a more beautiful, just place to live and be part of. So today, I live and work for a gifting economy, something very ancient and still alive amongst many cultures. Idealistic, people might say, crazy even. It's what I'm able to do, so I do it. I walk out my door each day wondering, asking myself and others to engage in such. What is spontaneous funding, other than being current and listening deeply to where to be and what is mine to offer? 